Good afternoon, and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Claire Fogarty, coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Nicole Bednar. It's Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, exactly one week till Valentine's Day. On today's show, what to expect from tonight's State of the Union address, Laura King, daughter of Rodney King, a look back at the civil rights movement in Los Angeles, and a conversation with the Washington Free Beacons editor-in-chief. All that and more from where we are. But first, these news headlines. Rescue efforts continue in Syria and Turkey after yesterday's 7.8 magnitude earthquake that rocked the region. The death toll has risen to over 7,000. Rescuers continue to look for survivors amid collapsed buildings and freezing temperatures. Turkey's president has declared a three-month state of emergency in 10 of the hardest-hit provinces in the country. Just one day after the quake, it's already one of the deadliest natural disasters of the century. Google announced its own version of the popular AI chatbot, ChatGBT, and they're calling it BARD. The company's CEO wrote in a blog post that BARD will open up to trusted testers this week and the general public in coming weeks. CEO Sudnar Pichai added that BARD is able to draw on information from the web to provide fresh, high-quality responses. This suggests that BARD may outperform ChatGBT in its ability to write about recent events. MedMen, the so-called Apple store of weed, is on the verge of financial collapse. According to a regulatory filing, the public company has just $15.6 million remaining and a whopping $137 million in debt. The company said that there is substantial doubt whether it will be able to pay its upcoming bills. MedMen is one of the several cannabis companies confronting high taxes and competition from illegal sellers. When MedMen went public in 2018, it traded at $6 a share. Now it's worth less than $0.04. Cents. Governor Gavin Newsom is calling for an investigation of soaring natural gas prices across California and western states. This comes after wholesale natural gas rates saw a 300% increase over the month of January. Industries impacted by the cost increase include industrial and agricultural sectors, as well as water and wastewater utilities. In a letter to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Newsom asked the agency to investigate whether market manipulation or anti-competitive behavior are contributing to the rising prices. You, you sang that gospel medley, and the way you made me feel, I was like, I want to make people feel this way with my music. Oh, Lizzo. In case you missed it, the Grammys were this past Sunday. Dr. Jill Biden, yes, the first lady, presented an award. Taylor Swift stood and danced for the entirety of Harry Styles, her ex's performance, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Adele hugged. But one of the most talked about moments from the night, Ben Affleck's sad face. A stoic Affleck was spotted next to dancing Jennifer Lopez throughout the night. Needless to say, the memes are plentiful. And those are today's headlines. Congress will convene tonight to listen as 
but President Biden delivers his second State of the Union address at the Capitol. With political, economic, and social tensions running high across the nation, all eyes will be on the president to deliver a unifying speech. Here's Anthony Slade with the story. President Biden is preparing to face Congress tonight in D.C. for his second State of the Union address since his inauguration in 2021. According to the White House website, his speech will expand his four-part unity agenda, which will prioritize bipartisan efforts. These goals include finding a cure for cancer, honoring veterans, tackling the mental health crisis, and beating the opioid and overdose epidemic. Todd Belt, professor and director of political management at George Washington University, sees the address as an opportunity for Biden to appeal to both sides of the aisle. State of the Union is a very significant event for the president because it allows the president to really set his legislative agenda with Congress. It allows him to tell members of the House and the Senate, this is what I'd like to see passed. The White House has already announced the guest list for the First Lady's box. In the past, these honored guests have been a good indication of the president's talking points during the address. This year's list includes the parents of Tyree Nichols, whose son was tragically killed in an altercation with the Memphis Police Department at the beginning of this year. Here's Belts again. Uh, This is going to be an opportunity for the president to talk about police reform. And I think there's an opportunity for both sides to uh, get involved in terms of legislation for, for policing reform. Also in attendance will be the U.S. Ambassador of Ukraine, advocates for abortion rights, and the families of war heroes, cancer survivors, and LGBTQ plus activists. Belt says that these guests will provide a segue for the president to discuss the White House's efforts in the past year. I expect he's going to be talking to a large degree about the policies that were passed in the last Congress, albeit to a much lower dollar figure than he would have liked, and he's going to talk about their successes. Biden is also expected to delve into the state of the national economy, a talking point at nearly every state of the union in the country's history. Experts anticipate a discussion of the once-in-a-generation infrastructure bill that the president signed last year. Also on the docket is the Inflation Reduction Act. This bill aims to curb the past year's inflation rate, which hit a four-decade high in the summer of last year. Despite these challenges, Colin Seberger, Senior Advisor for Communications at the Center for American Progress, remains optimistic about Biden's impact on the economy. He's steered the economy through... uh, a number of global headwinds to the lowest unemployment rate we've seen in about 54 years. Uh, And he led the Democratic Party to uh, a midterm performance that really defied the historical odds. The importance of this year's address is heightened with the 2024 presidential race right around the corner. Although Biden has yet to commit to running, many experts expect his announcement in the coming months. He's going to want to also show that he has energy and vigor and is still up to the job of being president, particularly if he wants to run again. A lot will be discussed tonight, but according to Belt, one thing is for certain. Uh, He will say what all presidents say, which is the State of the Union is strong. For Annenberg Media, I'm Anthony Slade. The Charlotta Bass Journalism and Justice Lab is a new initiative at USC Annenberg that aims to share stories of the black experience throughout American history. Laura King, the daughter of Rodney King, spoke during the lab's inaugural event at Annenberg Hall today. Anthony Klingerman has the story. The audience gathered in the lobby of Annenberg Hall in anticipation of Laura King's Voices of a Movement panel. The event was set to introduce King's virtual human interview experience, and audience members heard a first-hand account of Rodney King's legacy in the aftermath of his 1991 police assault. I'm Laura Danae King, middle child of the late, great Rodney Glenn King. 
1991, my father was the first victim of police brutality to have his assault captured on TV, and it changed the world. I'm also the CEO, founder of the Rodney King Foundation. What you just heard wasn't actually Laura King, at least not today. The virtual human experience is actually an artificial intelligence program that analyzes the viewer's question and converts it into an interview prompt. Mike Jones is the Director of Web and Automation Technologies at the USC Libraries. So we've created these interactive interviews within the USC Libraries and the USC Digital Repository. The concept is finding a way to make engaging and interactive conversations with consequential stories and oral histories. I think one of the things that's really empowering about this type of technology is that it allows each and every user to interact with the story and, and with the person sharing their story in their own way. Members of Laura King's family were also in attendance for the event and sampled the interview technology firsthand after King's speech was complete. Jalen Norwood is Laura King's daughter and was surprised at the breadth of the experience. I never thought you can even interact with things like museums or like even AI, like I think that's crazy. It also grabs attention too, like how cool it is. It can also make other people like excited to see it and want to learn more about the things that my mom is talking about. The Laura King Virtual Human Interview Experience will be available on the second floor of Annenberg Hall until this Thursday. For Annenberg Media, I'm Anthony Klingerman. I'm Claire Fogarty. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Nicole Bednar. It is nine minutes past the hour. Coming up, a history lesson on the civil rights movement in L.A. And a conversation with Washington Free Beacons editor-in-chief, Elena Johnson. Stay with us. Not many people think of Los Angeles when it comes to commemorating the civil rights movement, but Mia Mari Vanette tells us Southern California did make its mark. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. What many Americans know about the civil rights movement starts and stops with people like Martin Luther King Jr. and places like the American South. But here in Southern California, another movement was prominent. In San Jose, in Los Angeles, and in other urban communities, we, the Mexican-American people, were dominated by a majority that was Anglo. That's Cesar Chavez, who founded the Farm Workers Union and led the beginning of a Chicano civil rights movement. Los Angeles has a big role in the civil rights, both the traditional African-American civil rights movement and the Chicano or Mexican civil rights movement. I'm Domenica Castillo, and I'm the curator here at the Museum of Social Justice. So the Museum of Social Justice is located in the basement of La Plaza United Methodist Church. The church is located in El Pueblo de Los Angeles, and El Pueblo was the birthplace of Los Angeles. The church in El Pueblo was also home to Los Angeles' very first integrated drinking fountain, dating all the way back to the late 1800s. Outside in La Plaza, if you walk, there used to be Native American slave auctions and uh, black auctions as well, and uh, particularly more Native American. 
as well, the city has a history of lynchings as well. They tended to be Native Americans and Mexicans. And a lot of people always believe lynchings were just in the South during, you know, civil rights and before that, but lynchings happen here in LA as well. Fast forward to the 1960s and the African-American civil rights movement was capturing national headlines. But here in Southern California, the Chicano civil rights movement was picking up steam. Castillo says much of the activism was in response to the Vietnam War. Obviously, Vietnam's complicated and not always supported, right? But with the draft, particularly in L.A. and like the southwest parts of the United States, Mexican-Americans were getting drafted at a disproportional rate, and a disproportional rate of them were never coming back. They came back in body bags. Unlike now, where Mexican-Americans are a large minority, they were a very small minority then. From the battlefield to the classroom, racial injustice was affecting Southern California's Chicano population in every aspect of life. Here in this section, we're looking at the Mendes versus Westminster court case that happened. My name is Esperanza Sanchez. I am the associate curator here at La Plaza de Cultura y Artes. We are a Mexican, American, and Latinx museum and cultural center here in downtown Los Angeles. Before the landmark case, Brown v. Board of Education reached the Supreme Court, earlier precedents were set, one of which was the Mendez case in Orange County. With this court case, it really set a precedent in order for other cases to come up, which led up into the Board of Education, because you have other president cases that were waning, allowing minority children to attend what was considered white schools at the time. Today, both museums are located near El Pueblo, a place where merchants line the streets and music fills the air. The same place where, just a few hundred years ago, Africans were sold off into slavery, and Native people were coerced into indentured servitude. These museums serve as a reminder of the past, a past where black and brown people were fighting for things like access to education and a freedom from discrimination, much like they still are today. For Annenberg Media, I'm Maya Mari Bennett. Today, we have political analyst Eliana Johnson in the studio with us to discuss tonight's State of the Union address. Johnson is the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon, an alternative publication funded by the conservative activist Paul Singer. Johnson is at Annenberg as a part of the week-long Our Rebecca Donatelli Expert in Residence program. Thanks for joining us today, Eliana. Thank you for having me. So, um, are you planning on tuning in to the State of the Union address tonight? I am going to head over and do that right from here. <laughs> yeah, so we did some research, and the Free Beacon preview of the address said that the State of the Union doesn't matter. And we <laughs> um, are curious about your personal thoughts about the importance of tonight. You know, I tend to agree with that. The, the, the I think the media coverage that the State of the Union generates is totally outsized compared to the actual uh, significance of the event. And it generates a lot of media coverage because it is the sort of event the media likes, which is um, it's planned. It's a made for TV event that has the president addressing um, the 
the Congress. There are lots of lawmakers gathered. The Supreme Court justices come. It's really a made-for-TV event. Um, it's le- it, it, the political significance of it is uh, is not huge. Yeah. So going off of that, do you think that the State of the Union holds the same significance that it did, say, 30 years ago? I don't think it's ever held an enormous amount of significance. It is constitutionally required that the uh, the chief executive submit a report to um, to Congress. And it used to be done in writing. It wasn't always done this way. It became uh, the sort of television pageantry. And now we see it's been built out from that. So there are panels of anal, uh, you know, of analysis that happened beforehand and for hours afterwards. And then the um, the opposing party has turned it into an event where uh, they use it to elevate rising stars. So we had Marco Rubio do it years ago before he ran for president. And this year, the Republicans are using it to um, shine a spotlight on Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, the youngish new governor of Arkansas. And so both parties get something out of it. Um, And, you know, television reporters love it. Um, Yeah. And that being said, what issues do you want to hear the president address tonight? You know, um, for something that's so scripted, it's really the unexpected things that make it interesting. So a year ago, uh, Russia had just invaded Ukraine, and that ended up taking over, in in a lot of ways, the president's address. And everybody was listening for what he would say about that. This year, it's um, the U.S. relationship with China, where um, all of last week, um, the crisis that enveloped the Biden administration was what to do about this balloon, this Chinese balloon that was flying over Montana. Um, The administration ended up shooting it down. Um, but Secretary of State Antony Blinken had to cancel a planned uh, trip overseas to China. And so I'll be listening for how the president handles that in his speech and what he says. And I'm sure many Republicans will be um, will be listening to hear what he says about the state of the U.S.-China relationship and whether he uh, gives any indication of what he's going to do to push back on the Chinese for that. Hmm. So then what do you think the key takeaway message is going to be from the State of the Union tonight? You know, politically, I think Biden will use this to set the stage for um, the for announcing his reelection campaign in 2024. That's expected in the next couple of weeks. And we already know because the White House has circulated their talking points ahead of the event um, that the framework of the State of the Union is going to be finish the job. And that could apply for um, the next two years of the Biden presidency. But it could also apply, could also be the slogan of his reelection campaign. And so I think that's the framework through which to um, to watch this event is um, what are the themes that Biden is going to run for reelection on? Um, Um, I would expect that he would preview a lot of those in his speech tonight. Yeah, well, um, thank you so much for joining us today, Eliana, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your time at Annenberg. Thanks for having me. Okay. (laughs) And that's all we have time for today on From Where We Are. Meredith McCabe produced today's show with Jeffrey Lee, Val Diaz, and Issa Johnson. We also got help from Mallory Cara. Victor Figueroa is our board operator, and Derek Renfro composed the theme music. We are also streaming live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. Subscribe to From Where We Are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Nicole Bednar. And I'm Claire Fogarty. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From Where We Are.